We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and we are recording this on Sunday morning, which means we are in the, the part of the Timberwolves offseason cycle where everyone is very mad that they don't have a power forward, and all we really know is that Malik Beasley is back on the team, Ricky Rubio is apparently on the team, and that they've drafted a couple of rookies. So... To that end, and when this comes out in a day, I'm sure it will be somewhat outdated, but that's where I we are at for our com- my conversation today uh, with Britt Robson of The Athletic. Britt, you and I, we haven't even really, I think we've intentionally not talked to each other much over this past like 48, <laughs> 72 hours, uh, because when we started talking to each other, we, <laughs> we started fighting. So, um, Which we want to do live. <laughs> of course, naturally. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of different directions we can start with here. One being the draft, two being the trade for Rubio, three being um, Beasley and kind of the free agency, and then four, you know, what they're going to do. I have a feeling what we're going to end up doing is just talking and going off in many different tangents. But what else is new? <laughs> where where do you want to uh, where do you want to begin? Well, let's take issue right away with the idea that it's going to be outdated in 24 hours. I actually think there's not much left for them to do, is there? Yeah, I no, I I don't know. I just I think the one out that is like, and I don't know what the percentage is, is that there could be some sort of like out of nowhere trade because as I understand it, there's another trade window that opens up on Monday mm. where that's when, when players who were just, um, who were just drafted could be, could be traded again. 
I, I, I don't know. So, so I think there's this like there's this somewhat X percent chance that they do something to trade a combination of you know like the Laymans and Spellmans and Evanses to get with maybe throw a first round pick in there to get a power forward. Now, uh-huh. I, I I'm not saying that's likely, but the thing I've wrestled with this whole time is I kind of want to see before starting to freak out about anything. I kind of want to see what the end product is. Sure. Um, and, and and so I don't I don't know when the end product is you know what I'm saying so right. it's it's it feels it feels sort of tricky so I've I've been kind of quote unquote analyzing things individually but I don't know where are you at well I I'm just going to obviously keep piggybacking off what you say <laughs> and, <laughs> and I will tell you that I think the idea of including Layman in with the Spellmans and the Evanses is is ridiculous. I mean, I think that Jake Lehman, the way the current roster now stands, deserves as many minutes at the four as anybody else on the team. Sure, sure. I mean, but I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, um, a fallback position for this organization. Um, they they went into last season with a, a, a power forward who was 6'7", 209 pounds. Jake Lehman is 6'8", 209 pounds. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, and and they have Vanderbilt now. Uh, they have uh, apparently a newly uh, supermaned uh, Anthony Edwards at 6'6", 230. Um, they have a lot of different ways to get screwy on defense. And right. I think once they decided um, to essentially punt defense – in the draft and to some extent in free agency, um, this is what you get. It isn't like they're going to become a really good defensive team with anything they can pick up now. That's true. Um, and, and I think, as I was thinking about this conversation with you and you and I have sat by each other at games for, for years. Yes. And, and I, I know, I know what your, opinion is defensively or what you would your, your preference would be and in the front court specifically next to cap but probably along across the board would be to fight defensively with force right and to have to have a group of players particularly around a Carl Anthony Towns and probably a D'Angelo Russell where you would fight back by by being stronger being more physical and and doing and doing so in that way. And for the record, I, I, I think, as we've had many conversations about, I, I feel the same way. The one thing I, I, I feel like we need to differentiate and maybe explain to people is that that is not how Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders feel. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've seen that over and over again, where you, you listed off the 209 pounds, this and that. that they have not... And I don't think will prioritize any sort of brute force in any way with with this roster. Now we can have a conversation about if that's a bad idea or not, but in that vein, this is not that surprising to me to see them be like, well, all right, like if it didn't, you know, if if nobody wanted to sign for the mid level, like we're cool rolling out there with Wancho, Layman, and Vanderbilt. Like that that isn't shocking to me that that is their opinion because they would prefer finesse 
and athleticism and speed over, you know, your Paul Millsap facsimiles. Are you are you with me there? I totally agree. I, I think that and here's my my case is I am all for being taught by smarter people a different way to skin a cat here. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't have Carl Anthony Towns going with many holes in the dike. The thing about cat is, you know, the, the, the on ball rim protection stats show that he's actually pretty good. Uh, when he has one guy going at him, he's uh, in that the whole, you know, it's kind of a cheap defensive metric, but he's always negative field goal percentage on shots at the rim um, on a fair amount of attempts. Yeah, individually. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, with you. Exactly. That, that, is, that is true. And and I think people can picture that too. Right. When you're watching a game, he does have the ability to like contest shots well. You see you see that with blocks, but it's in it's in the context right of multiple players. It's actions. when he has to make a choice. It's when he has to say, Do I need to go get that guy or do I need to stay home? His decision making on that stuff is awful. And so mm-hmm. My whole idea with having it be brute is it's one of the better ways to make sure that nobody is leaking through that that it isn't a gang break on him when he's back. If 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 the responsibility on defense is supposed to be a drop back scheme where he is the guy, which means that you know he's he's the last line of defense. If you run two guys at him it's a horrible thing for him because he just isn't instinctively that good at that. Um, so I say, you know, knock people off, um, you know, put a body on people, but there is another way to do it. Um, which is get deflections, um, scramble really well. Um, you know, do what Houston did to OKC in, in the playoffs last year. Um, you know, where for a couple of games, three games, OKC didn't know what was going on. Houston was just swarming. Now, the- See, can, can I can I cut you off really quick because yeah. I think this is an important thing where where we have where we've talked about this before is 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 the idea if you're gonna I, I like that you point out if you're gonna play with the more athletic guys, the long guys, where you're trying to play de- deflections, you're trying to play in the passing lanes. The the scheme to roll with there is to play your big up at the level of the screen, not back at the rim, right? Like a, a, a drop scheme, you think about that around the league, you think about the Joel Embiid's, the, the Portland, you know, the Portland guys with, with Nurkic. It's like their, their goal is to, with brute force, absorb space. So I think there's something like counterintuitive to this idea of bringing in a finesse group to play a, to play a brute force scheme. Mm-hmm. And that that's what that's what I don't really get. So maybe that's a tea leaf to things are going to change there. I don't know, but but really, really that that that's that's what doesn't line up to me. And and the reason this is so important and why I joke on Twitter about everyone asking me about the power forward, I I don't I don't actually mean that because I, I get why people have concerns about the power forward because this does directly connect to Carl Anthony Towns. They have not found a four to work with him well. And and the biggest indictment of the idea of rolling with a finesse player is the fact that him and Robert Covington were awful together defense, defensively right. together on the floor. So at the four, yes, at the four, right. And so that is 
I, I would argue that um, the the player that he actually works best with in terms of a large sample size is Gorgie Jane. <laughs> of all things. I mean, that's, I'm serious. Yeah. And and it was because they were four or five, they were both hybrid four or fives. Now, obviously that's not the way this new regime is going to play. Um, exactly. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you could say, you know, you can prattle on about it all you want. It's not going to happen. So let's look at the possibilities. I mean, one of my favorite stats is that in two man, two man lineup combinations, Cat and Lehman are, uh, let me get it here, 101.3 in 198 minutes. You know who's the next best guy in two-man lineups with Cat? Jarrett Culver. McLaughlin. McLaughlin. <laughs> At 109.5, 8.2 points per 100 possessions. Can I poke a hole in that stat? Sure. The majority of those, would you say 190 minutes? Some of it was with Lehman at the three, right? No. Well, sure, that. And it all came at the beginning of the season. Right. The Lehman numbers are all skewed. That's when the Wolves were good. I mean, and maybe it was because of Lehman, but I, I don't know. Like, right, that's, that's the hot streak at the beginning of the year where they start the year 10 and 10. Isn't Lehman in for, like, all of that, right? Yes. And then Lehman missed the entire 13-game losing streak. That What was there? That a nine-game losing streak after that one? When shit was bad, right? And and I'm not saying it probably would have been better with him, but I I've noticed that too with the Lehman stats, and and I just don't know if that's a proof. I think it's I think it's a data point to note, but I quite frankly I would be surprised if you saw anything similar to that next year. Okay, in but two hundred. But my greater point is for the season, and obviously nobody got a lot of minutes aside from Cat and Okogi on the Wolves this season, maybe Culver. But Lehman's overall defensive rating last year was 104.6. Yeah. And that, well, he knows where to be. He and, knows and, where to be. And also, I should point out that some of that was in that absolutely ridiculously terrible stretch in the end of the year when uh, Cat, Cat only That's played fair. a game or two, when they went 4-10. and 10. And by the way, in that same stretch – but that um, doesn't show up in the two-man stat, Britt. That's what I'm talking no, about. No, I know, Because I know. the cat's out and then Lehman's in. Yeah, but okay. my point is, I was just pushing back at your thing, which is to say, that was earlier in the year. Well, let's talk about later in the year. For the entire year, when he had two sides right. of it, he finished 104-6. And he was playing with guys like Beasley and Wancho, who were at like 117, 118. You know? The, the Timberwolves were better at... Every iteration of the season of the roster, when defensively, when Jake Lehman was on the floor, hundred percent agree with that. I think he's a solid defender. I, I, I do. He's, he's a, he's a good defender in the sense that he is cognizant of his surroundings and he knows where to be. Like, he's a, he's a, he's a good defensive piece on this he team. He is a bargain basement Roko on defense. Sure. Sure. In other words, he doesn't have Roko's hands, but he moves his feet. He moves his hands. He's not as strong as Rocco, but he also knows Vanterpool's system. And according to cleaning of the glass, he's 97th percentile in deflections. Hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's good. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think. So, so let me ask you, should he, if, if they do bring back Wancho and they have Lehman, who do you think the better four is to play next to Cat? That's a good question. I think it's matchup oriented. 
It's a good answer. I mean, you know, obviously, if you're playing the Lakers, I don't think you want Jake Lehman playing the four. <laughs> well, who's going to do it? Vanderbilt, then? No, it'll be Wancho. I mean, if you're looking for size, Wancho's at least got size. Height. Yeah, that's what I'm – yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but – or Van, I, don't I don't. I mean, maybe Vander Vanderbilt has got something going on that we didn't see. You know, I mean, in those uh, workouts, obviously the the he's big. He could he could he could physically. He's the best physical matchup against an Anthony Davis. And I think that he is far more comfortable playing really fast. And I think that's sure. what this team wants to do. They want mm-hmm. to play really fast. I think he's better at that than both Layman and. Uh, Wancho, Lehman is also pretty good at it. Wancho, um, Wancho plays fast and stops at the three-point line. And I got to tell you, you know, yep. the, the thing that drives me crazy about Wancho, and everybody knows I don't like him, is that he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't move his feet, or he can't move his feet. Either one. If you can't move your feet as a power forward next to Carl Anthony Towns, the defense is just going to be awful. Well. Let, let let's I I'm I'm with you there. It did he did not acquit himself well defensively at all. Wancho did not. I I personally like to see some of the the shooting stuff and, and all that. I thought that was commendable on his part. Shooting You're is the least of our worries. I know I know I, I'm just I'm I'm just, just I know. Showing, but the one thing sense. Wancho does well, which is shoot threes in volume, the the lineup is lousy with him now. Yeah. That's true, which is which is a good thing. The 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 problem I I think that is really important to acknowledge when we start talking about playing the teams that have a Nikola Jokic, playing the teams that have an Anthony Davis. I mean, every lots of teams have dynamic bigs. Today. Exactly. I know yep. we talk about small ball, but the thing I will point out is if you are going to roll with Wancho, Layman, Vanderbilt, you know, like some pile of options at the four, the issue is you need you need somebody to be able to to guard the fives. Are you really going to roll with Cat on Jokic the whole time? And can I mean, you imagine? That's going to be foul trouble. That's going to be foul trouble every night. And it is going to play into his martyr complex. Yeah, that's a whole. That's a whole. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. no, but no. I mean, yeah. this is very relevant. Maybe it isn't. Maybe stuff. it's the same. Cat is sick and tired of hearing he's a bad defender, while the cavalry comes at him coming down the floor. I mean, Cat mm-hmm. does have a smidgen of an argument. In the idea that when he goes one on one with somebody coming up to him against the rim, he's not bad. He's not great. He's not as good as he thinks he is, but he's not bad. Mm-hmm. And so he will take that to the bank, and then say, "Where's the help?" The, the The problem is 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 he needs he needs more than help. He needs to not have the matchup sometimes. One well, thing I actually really liked Ryan doing um, when he took over for Tibbs is he would he would stagger it as much as possible so Tosh Gibson would be guarding Nikola Jokic right right and 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 they, they I, I think they need a player like that the issue is is a lot of the cheap players like Tosh Gibson or like Tosh Gibson literally um, who's a free agent is that they do not fit that speed that shooting ability right. that that ability to be a screen and roll man so so now you're like you know your who who are your options right it, and and to, this to is end. this is what makes the Ricky Rubio draft night trade so bizarre to me i mean good transition this is a good transition well, good, good I, I rubio. Mean, there we go i like it well i mean it's true it's <laughs> it's the the reason 
that we have no idea who this team can get at power forward is because they punted their one chip. Their one chip that they could go and get somebody with a decent amount of, unless you think the mid-level guy is going to do it. I mean, James Johnson at $16 million was the way to get better. And they punted it for, well, you heard me ask the question of Rosas uh, in the pre-draft Zoom we had, uh, asking about um, immediate help versus long-term help. And he said, I don't want to win day one. I want to win day day 400. Well, Rubio was a classic day one win. It's not a day 400 win. I mean, Ricky Rubio is very reminiscent to me. I was thinking about this. Very reminiscent to me about, speaking of Taj Gibson, of Tibbs bringing in Taj Gibson. Same kind of deal. Really solid vet coming in to instill culture in the locker room. Uh, gets a, a slightly above average two-year deal. Now, Rubio is obviously an inherited deal, but same kind of concept. You had True. Gorgie, Jang, and Cat there. You brought in Gibson because you thought you'd get a smidgen better, and you did. You made the playoffs. He was great in the, in the locker room, but it all went away. After two years, see you later. And so two years from now, let's look at Ricky Rubio's upside. And I say all this. I mean, people who call me a Rubio hater and all this other bullshit, I covered the guy for six years. I sang his praises up and down the block when he merited them, which was very frequently on those teams. And I do think there's a lot of value in this guy. My whole deal is you have to look at a team in context. And the people who were singing Rubio's praises on draft night who are now bitching about not having a power forward need to figure out which one of them was those two things they wanted. And and I, I'd love that you bring that up because so many of these things are so many things that people are bitching about. It it was you can't have both. Exactly. Given given the limited amount of resources, be it in trade chips, be it in dollars under the luxury tax, be it in the middle be, whatever. It's this was this was a this was not an and situation it was an or situation right and and where, where i fall on, on the you know on the, the rubio acquisition in in the context of being james johnson is is i'm more i'm more cool with it but i do acknowledge that the downside of it the opportunity cost if you will is that they cannot trade james johnson this year for a player of that salary range and and I would look even beyond this offseason window, but to the trade deadline, where if exactly. $20, million, $20 million player X becomes made available, um, James Johnson's contract would likely be more a- attractive in that it would be expiring. And, and let's say that Culver improves. Mm-hmm. Let's say that Culver begins to have a really pretty good second season, and he's there at $5 million too. Then you put Johnson's 16 million expiring with a, a much better valued Jarrett Culver, and you can maybe get somebody who's pretty good from a team that wants to clear space because they're going for the big guns in 2021 free agency. But that's but that's the the word you used is pretty good. Yeah. And 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 again, and I'm I'm cool with that. If it was you and I, we could have a conversation. I would consider the pretty good path. The thing is, again, it's we can have a conversation about what you and I would do, but we also know what their behavior is, and the idea of pretty good is not of interest. 
So is Ricky Tigerson Rubio anything better than a pretty good point guard? No, but I think he, he to them, presents the path to get a star player next summer. How? He, the salary money. He's the salary money. So Ricky He's Rubio. He's the James Johnson. Ricky Rubio, who's been traded four times in six years or whatever, is suddenly going to be a valuable chip at $17 million during this free agent frenzy when everybody is trying to start to create space so they can get big players? And in a, point, is, in a league where point guards are, are, I mean, Rubio is, I think, realistically, somewhere between 16th and 18th in terms of point guards in this league. Okay, well, a couple things. True, that, that might be true. I still think we know his market value was $17 million a year last year. He had multiple suitors at that price tag. So, again, you, you can disagree with that being what his worth is, but the, the NBA market did set at him being $17 million a year. So I, think, I do think that's fair. He didn't have a bad year. He didn't, like, age out or anything. I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that Ricky Rubio at $17 million is a massive overpay in the context of the league. The other thing... One, he hasn't been traded four times. He was traded by Tibbs to the Jazz once, and then and then he signed in Phoenix as a free agent where he got paid because that was his market value, and now he was just traded by Phoenix to get Chris Paul. So I don't think that – I don't think – I don't think either of those trades are really indictments of Ricky Rubio as a player. They, he, go Con- ahead. Conley was a better point guard. Paul was a better point guard. Those are facts. Yeah. So – what they, I agree with those. Okay, facts. so what they say is, we want to upgrade at point guard. You want to get rid of a guy on the free agent market. I mean, on on the trade market, who who has demonstrably three times. Pardon me, it wasn't four. Three times, somebody in a position of power on a roster decided that Rubio was not their ideal point guard. He is going to be a backup point guard for a really good team. Yeah. How is that necessarily a great chip? And by the way, that chip would have to happen not during the off season of this coming year um, because there's a still a full season. It would be like Johnson this season. The, the, that Yes, but he would still be an expiring contract. I think that's, I think that's what the plan is. I think that's what Gerson and Sasha and those guys are doing is they say, if, to get star player X in by 2021, which, you know, we've talked about, I, I believe that is their time where they really put the chips on the table to go do that. They need to have, they need to have a way to put together $25 million of outgoing salary to go get a, you know, I, I, I don't like to throw but, out specific names, but, but th- that, that's how they do it. You need to have the money. James Johnson would have been the money at a far more advantageous time to do that. Right Who now, are you Ru- going to get? Who are you going to get right now? Rubio. Who are you going to get for James Johnson? Who are you going to get? James Johnson and Culver, if he gets better, or Okogie, if he gets better in February. Who knows? But I know that if they had $20 million worth of stuff in February of 2021, they would get a lot more than Ricky Rubio back. Okay. Okay. I hear that. That that that's and I acknowledge the trade. They have punted on the trade deadline, and they have now Rubio's maximum value will be February twenty two. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. Okay. Well, 
There's where I, we disagree. I think in the summer. I think in the summer, a team basically, if you are going to, what we, we see this all the time in these now trade conversations in other markets for stars, is you need to find a way to deliver a a blue chip piece on your roster, and and other, you know, uh, salary that is not onerous in addition to that player plus a bounty of picks. So now I think to get star player X, you know, you call it the Simmons, you call it the the Booker. I know those aren't, but whatever, that facsimile of that down the road, the Wolves now have the salary in Rubio to do so. They have the blue chip prospect in Edwards, and they have the picks down the line to to be able to do that as well. So they they are in a position to offer, to make an offer, for a star, if a star player becomes made available next offseason. Okay, and my counter to that is that they will not have the number one pick more than likely. If they do, that'll be pretty amazing because that means they'll get it. It's top three protected. But they had the number one pick this time. They had mm-hmm. $16 million. You know my idea. My idea was D'Lo and the number one uh, for somebody like Ben Simmons. Uh, that's too really good chips that line up with the Sixers pretty well. The Sixers could have done whatever they felt like. They could have taken Edwards. What if it, I mean, maybe Edwards will go beyond the number one pick status. Maybe Edwards will look better 12 months from now than he does now. But let's face it, getting the number one pick that you want is better value than any player unless that player turns into Luka or turns into somebody like that. And meanwhile, let's talk about minutes. In order to get the kind of value you're talking about, hold on, hold on, no, 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 we, we got it. We, we can't just brush over the fact. I'm that not brushing that... over. Let, let me finish. Okay. Rubio, in order to have the kind of value you're talking about, aside from just being a 17 million dollar expiring, needs to have played some good minutes. I mean, he's not going to – he's going to have fewer minutes this season than he has in the past three and maybe the fewest in his career, number one. Number two, how many minutes is Edwards getting in this thing? I mean, he's a rookie, and they've got Beasley. They've got Okoye and Culver, who somebody's got to play defense. Uh, They've got Rubio. They've got D'Lo. So if Edwards gets above 1,500 minutes, and who knows how many games are going to be played, but that's a whole other subject. The point I'm saying is, is that there is not a great shot at Anthony Edwards being like Nirvana from heaven that some team is going to want to part with a big ass star because he won't have enough of a chance to prove himself. The the log jam, I, the log jam they have there going on right now, I don't understand. Which, by the way, was exacerbated by the acquisition of Ricky Rubio. That's true. I, I, I hear that. I, I, I acknowledge that. I think what I was what I was going to say about the number one pick is that we do need to acknowledge that the number one pick this year in terms of value is very different than it would be in other years, which of course you would agree with. Yes. Um so so Johnson plus number one this year did not have the same force uh in, in the trade market that number one and James Johnson or Ricky Rubio would have in if it's Cade Cunningham or if it's somebody else, you know, down the line that's available for the number one pick. So I I, I think that the, the timing was was 
was unfortunate with James Johnson um, in that they weren't able to maximize that. And so what I what I understand that they did is they were able to delay that for another year. And now they feel that they have another James Johnson contract in Rubio that they, they, they could be able to move in the next offseason or the following. But the timing could have been maximized if they'd waited until the February trading deadline, in my opinion, number one. Number two, the odds of having a really high draft pick, ironically, are going to be less when you have Rubio on your roster instead of James Johnson. Yeah. No, I don't I don't think I don't think it's that they're gonna have a really high pick this year. It's the 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 pick compensation that they eventually offer for a star will be future firsts. So if it's next summer, they will be offering 2023, 2025, 2027. That will be the offer. It'll be Rubio Edwards and three future unprotected firsts. That's how they get Ben Simmons in a year. Right. And and who knows if that is even possible. Um, but they did not have a – my point. My main point is if Johnson expires, you don't have that, that $15 to $20 million player. Agree. But I- – but now they have Beasley, so they have two. So I actually think that is that is a case against Ricky Rubio, is that if you were going to pay Beasley this fat contract to be that salary chip in a future deal, now you have two of those chips, and that decreases some of whatever that value I'm giving to Rubio in that vein is. Not only right? that, not only that, but Beasley has a skill set that the Wolves desperately need, which is the, you know, he's a lights out three point shooter Mm -hmm. and he's young. I mean, I have a lot of good things to say about Ricky Rubio. He has never not improved the team. Every single year he's been on a team, that team has gotten better. I have no problem at all saying that. I also think he'll be a wonderful guy in the locker room. I think that he'll be really good. This whole idea that he's going to mentor Edwards doesn't strike me as particularly. Uh, um, uh, Why not? Because I think there's a lot of other candidates leading with David Vanterpool, who desperately wants to be a head coach and knows that if he doesn't put together some kind of defense this year, that his star dims, he's always got that Dame cachet, that CJ cachet, uh, and that I think is going to be more impressive to Anthony Edwards than Ricky Rubio is. Sure, I think I think the the Ricky Rubio um, mentorship value comes from the idea of what he uh, did with Donovan Mitchell as a, as a uh, his rookie year in right. Utah. Um, from what I've heard, that was they give a lot of credit to Donovan's progression to Rubio's presence there. And I think if Anthony Edwards like hits an upper end outcome, it's, it's something like a Donovan Mitchell type player. I agree. And so I think I see, I think there's, there's, there's some comparison to, to be made there. Good point. Um, that's a good point. I, I, I think, I think that's, that, that's part of the value. Cause, cause unless they're just stupid and like, <laughs> If what you're right, if you're saying is they sacrificed a good deal and all the different ways you mentioned of of the trade chip, the the limited amount of spots on the floor, minutes for Rubio, et cetera, exacerbating it with Edwards. If that's all right and we don't assume they're idiots, then why did they do it? And 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 I think part of it 
is is the the Mitchell Edwards thing, but another part of it is is that Rubio does fit this style of play, right? That that they want to play with does has been a serviceable defender throughout his career, right? Probably above above average, right? And and I think he does fit in well with the the one real most important chip, which is Cat. Like Cat, you could speak to. I I never covered Rubio. Right. I I came the year after Rubio was gone. But to what, as I understand it, like Cat and Rubio are cool, right? Right. And 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 then that that should fit there. So he does, even if he just, uh, even if he doesn't check some of those, those trade boxes or those future boxes, he does check some more imminent boxes, right? I will grant you all of that. I don't think anything you said there is necessarily wrong. Um. I also would add, I was just reading through notes. I was basically trying to figure out if they play super small um, on defense. I was looking back at clips of uh, the Houston Rockets and what writers were saying about them um, when Rocco, when the Rocco trade was made. And um, uh, one of my, Seth Partner, who I really like, he's at The Athletic, he's on Twitter as Anchorage Man or whatever, really smart guy. He was interviewed by the Rockets beat writer for the athletic Kelly Eichel. And he said something that was really important. And I mean, the best thing I can think about in terms of Rubio's on court value, he said that he, he has looked at it pretty carefully. And this guy is a really, I think a very a one analytics guy. Used well, to he was in the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks front, front office, office right. as an, as an analyst. Right. He says that for every second you get into your offense early, you gain a point in offensive efficiency. Ricky Rubio is one of the best players in the NBA at initiating offense right out of the out of, out of bounds. Yep. Uh, and so that is a really tangible way that he will improve the offense of this team. So I don't want to say that Rubio is a bad player, and I don't want to say that he won't help the Wolves. What I will say is it is – unfathomable to me everything that Rosas and company have done fits their MO except for this deal um, if you look at the two guys they got the back end trades the guy who's going to stay in Spain and the guy who's going to stay in Iowa both of them are home run swings both of them are guys that could bust probably will bust but both of them have like a five to 15% chance of being all-stars. Um, and so, you know, yeah, they're home run swings. And, and my, my point too is I think, I do think that the Rubio trade is for a home run swing in the sense of a home run. I do. It's I know for the do. star. How else do you get the star? That is the home run swing. Well, How else do you do it? You can say, I told you so. You, you, you take James Johnson and the number one pick, or something else, but Ricky Rubio, I don't think, I think it's too late. I think that a year from now is not going to be the time. The time is going to be this February when teams are going to be trying to clear space to go after the guys the Wolves are never going to get because they're not good well, that, enough yet. That's what we disagree on. I don't think that's the time. I think I think it's the 2021 offseason is when shit gets crazy. And like big names are moving around, and that's where this front office casts their 
their net akin to the one that Gerson and Maury cast to pick up James Harden back in 2012. Like that, it's a, that's probably a five and 15% thing too. Okay. But it is, it is the home run swing. But you need to cast the net. Ricky Rubio, the contract is the net. I have asked you this in the past to explain this way of thinking to me. And I thought you were brilliant at it. And it so much so that I actually remember quite a bit of it. And so what you said was, Everybody is flippable by then. So I don't think it's Rubio. I think it's Cat. I think it's D'Lo. I think you start to think about big game hunting because you've had enough time to figure out what's going to work and what isn't. And in that scheme of things, that's a, you're not going to get one of the prize 21 free agents dangling Ricky Rubio and another piece that isn't a cornerstone on and Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards after 15 minutes, 1500 minutes of NBA time. I mean, the guy it's, I I don't know how good Anthony Edwards is going to be. I'm just saying, right. That's what it is in theory. It's Rubio, it's Edwards and it's three future unprotected. And I keep coming back to the the idea that, Anthony Edwards was always better as a theoretical number one. You could do whatever you want with than sure. Anthony Edwards after 1500 minutes in the NBA, assuming he gets that much or maybe not. Maybe he's going to be fabulous. I don't know. I don't think he will be. I don't think he will be fabulous okay. over 1500 minutes. Okay. I think the idea is you have to have a team who's like, oh, he's still very early on in his process. He won't even be 20 by that, you know, or whatever. Maybe he'll be 20. Okay, but, for, but like, for that reason, we're going to give up a cornerstone star. I don't know. See, I mean, that's what I mean. Let's let let me move on to another downside of the Rubio trade that is possible. Okay. okay? I know you're just hating this, but <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not hating it. The 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 one thing I want to say okay. here too is that this is that Rubio might not be the contract. This was this was my stance on Rubio. We went back and forth a little bit on Twitter, and yeah. that was that was the what was what was the first day of free agency, yeah. whenever it happened, yeah. or the draft night, draft night. And when that happened, I'm like, oh, that's the first thing I thought of. I go, now you have this you have this human trade exception for the following summer, but that is now 72, 48 more hours have passed since then, and Malik Beasley has became that. So Malik, there's another possibility where it's Beasley, who's younger, who might put up some. Sp- Good stats this year, right? And be, become become attractive. Now you pair him with an Edwards, a Culver, or whatever, and future first picks. That that sounds a little bit to me like what the package Brooklyn has to offer, right? With Beasley's your Karis Levert, right? And and Culver's your Jared Allen, something like that. That maybe will ultimately be what Brooklyn trades for James Harden. All right, and I agree with all of that. But that I just wanted to throw that in there that it's not definitely Rubio and that Rubio might just ride it out. He might just ride out his contract. His contract might expire and then he can come back with bird rights for like six million bucks. Okay, so what that means is we did not need Rubio to be traded. We did not need to punt our asset in James Johnson to do Fair. this. Fair. Okay. I do think you're overvaluing the James Johnson asset. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I want to talk about the, the Rubio thing here a little bit. More. Yes, and I'm not I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything. All right, mm-hmm. I just think that this is a possibility. I'm excited here. <laughs> there is a possibility that D'Angelo Russell is going to be very unhappy this coming season. Mm. 
he was brought in under much, much fanfare as A, the primary ball handler on the perimeter, and B, the primary scorer on the perimeter. Now, both of those things are in danger of being usurped. Not only that, but the guy coming in who has great credentials as a primary ball handler is beloved by the fan base, by the head coach, and by the and by his quote unquote good buddy cat, um, who may have to make some choices here. Meanwhile, how many touches is D'Angelo going to be able to do his thing? taking the ball air out of the ball working pick and rolls and floaters when the whole team is based around space in the floor for catch and shoot sharpshooters edwards beasley rubio out there maybe um all of a sudden the role that d'angelo russell plays on this team he's no longer 1a he might even be 2b or 3a by the time we're done with this and so how is that going to fit on a team that is going to give up like 118 points a game uh, per 100 possessions? I just don't see necessarily that all this chemistry flows, you know, this happy family. Um, D'Angelo Russell's cachet on the roster has been diminished significantly in the last uh, few days. And, and I think it's a really good point. That's a really good point, Brett. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know how chemistry works. People like yeah. to start, first of all. You think Malik Baisley is going to want to come off the bench? You think Anthony <laughs> Edwards is going to want to come off the bench? One of those no. two guys probably has to come off the bench, right? Either that or they're going to have Okogie and Culver come off the bench at the same time. That's going to be wonderful without Cat, with Cat well, sitting down. I mean, the whole Okogie and Culver thing, that might fall into let's see how this shakes out. Like, oh. as far as a move goes, because I'm with you, like, and, and I've talked about this before. I think a Koki and Culver can play together if it is alongside Kat and D'Lo both. Right. But, but and, that, and that's, what that's does kind that of do point. with the two guys? You know, yeah. you just no, made, that, that's fair. you made a, a guy $60 million offer. You call it 45 because the fourth year, thankfully, is the Wolves option. And um, you have uh, a guy who... You, the one of the ways you got him so excited about this team is apparently sitting down with him and telling him he's going to be Superman on this team, if I read right. between the lines. So, again, these things are not – this is the honeymoon time. This is the time when everybody goes, oh, we got Rubio back. We got Edwards, and Edwards is not a bad dude. He's going to play defense. He's saying all the right things. And it may all work out. But right. I've covered the Timberwolves now for a long time. And I've heard this. Let's see. And let's see what happens when you put a whole bunch of guys who love to score and don't like to defend out on the floor together with a guy who needs defensive help. And by the way, what happens to Cat's usage in all this? I mean, you know. You know, my dream, my dream was to make Cat like a, like a little Demi Jokic, you know, have him be out on the top of the key whipping passes around. Um, I'm not sure that people are going to need every single guy, Rubio, 
probably Edwards, but let's leave him out for now. Let's just say Rubio, Russell, Beasley, and Cat all need the ball a lot to be really effective. True. I I want to go back to the DeAndre Russell thing. Okay. Um, with with Rubio because I think I think it's a it's a good point, and I remember. Um, obviously you and I talked about this. Lamella ball was my top prospect. It's right. probably, I, I was, I'm honestly like Edwards and ball was very close for me. I, I don't, sure. I don't have a strong opinion on that, Fair enough. but I, but I remember, you know, when I would talk to people and I would say, you know, Oh, who, who's your top, the Wolves got the top pick. Who's your, who's your top guy? I would say Lamello. And you know, whether that was like a couple people I know around the league, the thing that would come up was how does DeAndre Russell feel about that? And I don't, and also our friend John Krasinski, you know, I, and I don't think this is me exposing anything because he, he wrote about it. He's talked about it too, is he's, he was skeptical about LaMelo Ball next to DeAndre Russell because what does, you know, what does that mean? How does, not that it can't work basketball wise because it can work to have two playmakers out there, right. but there's, there's sometimes a difference between what can work and what he, what D'Angelo thinks can work, right? And and so to that extent, that was that was a, a strong argument that that you know kind of talked me out of Lamelo to some extent with the with the Wolves is, well, bottom of the line, D'Angelo is more important, and and so if this messes with him and he starts getting pouty about Lamelo needing to pound the rock too, then you know then then we got issue we got an issue here that is probably an issue you don't want to have. And, and I, the coach, is key in this. I yeah. mean, it is why. Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, and Derrick Rose were so comfortable here when Tibbs was mm-hmm. here. If you've had somebody and you've developed many years relationship and you've been through hard times, now in Tibbs' case, some really good times too, and I, that really made a difference, especially with Taj. Yeah. You know, I mean, and 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 Rose, but certainly Taj. Taj came in and they were going to the finals, you know, or at least the conference finals, and so. Right. You build up a loyalty is my point. And right now, Rubio is a competitor. He's a stone cold competitor. And he's also very, very honest. He's one of the go-to guys you'd go to in the locker room. He says, we are not very good at X, Y, or Z or something. Well, what happens if if D'Angelo plays his usual caliber of defense one night, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they lose the game and, and Rubio may say, you know, we need to get better on the perimeter. We need to do this, you know, and, and Ryan is saying, you know, it's so great to have Ricky here. Kat's saying, it's so great to have Ricky here. You know, and D'Angelo, meanwhile, is feeding the ball to Edwards, who never gives it back. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just saying yeah, th- no. there is not a kumbaya roster construction here at the current time. Throw mm-hmm. in the fact that they're going to play toxic defense and they're probably going to lose a lot of games. And the reason I tweeted out the other day, you know, we, we're ecstatic that Rubio's here now. How are we going to feel in mid-February was kind of based on this whole idea. It's – and I've, I've thought about this because, again, I had the little mellow ball thing going on in my right. head. And then I go, I'm like, well, honestly, it's pretty similar with Rubio. I mean, he, Rubio's a much more mature thinker and will probably be a little bit more, like, socially aware than Lamelo would have been. But at the end of the day, he's a pretty good Lamelo facsimile. It's just as far as players go, and and if that bothers D'Angelo, that's an issue. The thing is, what but I kept coming back to is, I'm like, man, I don't have a good read on D'Angelo, and neither do you, right? Like right, right. We were we were around him 
you know, I, I was actually trying to think about this the other day. It's like, how many even scrums did you and I do with D'Angelo over the course of the time he's here? Four? Four, right. I was about to say four, right. Yeah, like, and I mean, uh, so I'm going off some some pretty limited amount of, you know, interaction. You know, whatever. That, that One of the uh, things I subjective. will say, I think he's really, really smart. I, I mean, so. the, what, what, the vibe I got off him, and I'm not necessarily saying basketball smart. I just think he's a very, very intelligent guy. That's the vibe I get from him. He size, that stuck out to me, too. I didn't expect that. He sizes up people, and I think it's always interesting to me. One of the ways I judge in players' intelligence is they'll conduct their interviews based on context. Mm-hmm. They will basically size up the kind of people um, that are talking to them, the situation in which they are talking, and they'll – they'll shade their comments accordingly judging by what they think is the best way to get their message out. Yep. And, and some people do it badly. I think D'Angelo does it pretty well. Um, I have a good example of this. Okay, good. So I, right after the trade deadline, I, I, I wanted to, to write something about, you know, the way the wolves play and how, Beasley and Russell specifically fit into that. Right. And and obviously what is the most classic thing uh, about this new regime's style of play? Shooting threes over non-paint twos, right? right. Mid-range, mid-range right. jump shots. And I, I wanted to be intentional about framing the question to both Beasley and Russell in the sense of like, yo, I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad to take mid-range jump shots, but when are you going to take them? I remember I, I asked it to, to Beasley first and I was like, like, what role does being able to pull up from the mid-range, what value does that give you in terms, you know, in terms of the rest of your game? And Beasley's like, if I'm a threat from the mid-range, then I can pull up the big and I can get by him the next time down to get to the rim. You know, it's like, cool, that's the answer I'm looking for. I'm like, that's a good answer. Right. I don't have a problem with you, if you, with you taking mid-range shots if it's in the context of the greater good, right? And I remember a couple days later, I asked the same thing to D'Angelo, and he was just like... I'm gonna shoot my I'm gonna shoot my shots, and coach is gonna have to figure out. You remember that yeah. in the locker room after right. that one game? Right. And I was like, "That's a very different answer." <laughs> and it's also, and he also like saw through my bullshit, which was like, "I'm trying to be like, yo, dude, are you gonna keep taking these shitty mid range shots?" And, and and I was like, "I respect, like I res- I respect him for right. you know for seeing through that." And <clears throat> and 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 to me, that means that he is a more righteous in his own beliefs sort of person and you know i mean we're playing armchair psychologists right for we, we i did the disclaimer we don't know d'angelo four scrums whatever exactly. but that but that that is that has stood out to me about him in the sense that to his credit <clears throat> excuse me that that i think he is smart and analytical in in that sense but also in the sense that he is not analytical in the basketball sense in like analytics right right and and I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to see how much he buys into this whole, this whole bit, right? Right. And and now you know Ricky's going to buy into it. So there's there's a whole another like there's a whole another foggy foggy sort of area there. So I think I think you're I think you're on point bringing up. What is how is he going to react to all this? Because we're always like, oh, everything's about cat. How is he cater to cat? Cater to cat? Cater to cat? And they do that. D'Angelo, we have not seen them cater to in the in the exact same in to the to the same extent, right? Certainly. And this is an example. Right. And and I keep 
hammering on this because in covering the teams, I really notice the impact that the coach, and in this case, the front office, because they're very, very much joined at the hip, how they approach things. And so um, Kat had to deal with the Tibbs regime actively working against the idea that he had any kind of primacy on this team. The entire time Tibbs was here, he was basically trying to convince Kat that he needed to uh, stick his tail between his legs every now and then. And, you know, STFU, you know, and so, uh, you know, don't talk to me about Kentucky and college and all this other stuff. And then brought in guys who reinforced the culture. Ricky Rubio was brought in to reinforce some culture that doesn't feel totally consonant with the kind of culture that I thought Roses wanted to bring in. It feels a lot more like the old Ryan Saunders, Flip Saunders culture to me. And I don't know how that plays out, but I do know that it's an interesting dynamic right now because if you're a player, you don't care that much what your competition for playing time thinks you care about the people who are running your playing time. What do they think? And Ricky Rubio has been brought in for a pretty big chip, or let's call it a medium-sized chip, <laughs> in reference to your uh, James Johnson uh... de-inflation. Um, <laughs> but um, I just think that it, it is another aspect that we have to watch out for. Um Understand. I'm hearing all that. I mean, I'm 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 hearing all that. I I I grant I grant all that. The element that I that I'm I'm not with is is the idea that not you have brought up, but that others do bring up is that Ricky Rubio is just bad. Oh no no no! I don't think he's bad. I mean, I, now I do want to say, having said a bunch of nice things about him, I, I, I'll I'll do the. There is something on Basketball Reference that you've probably seen called adjusted shooting percentage. Uh, basically what they do is they take a player shooting percentage and they take the league shooting percentage and they make it on a, you know, a comparison, a hundred sure. being average. Ricky Rubio has been over a hundred once in his career and it's from three point range last season. Yep. Every, and, and, and by the way, I need to point out 36.1 from three and the standing catch and shoot that you talk about he's always been good at mid-range now he's even good at catch and shoot from mid-range he used to have remember when he worked with that coach and he basically if there's one skill he nailed it was moving around to pick take two steps spin from the right and hit a shot he got really good at that shot why that became the shot that <laughs> he but you know one of the least effect you know but anyway that aside his two-point percentage last year, including from the rim, at the rim, it's awful. Again, yes. all his career, he has not been able to finish well. Total, totally agree. I, I I, mean, I remember that, you know, just talking to my friends about it. It's the eh shots, <laughs> you know, where 
you know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. Where you like he can't get all the way to the rim, and then it's kind of he tries to draw the foul out. Yeah, step like outside of the box, kind of fading, right? Sort of shot. Like he's he's not he's not good at that. He tries that, to draw not, the foul, and and mm-hmm. what was interesting to me, I I want to give him credit or Phoenix coaches credit or somebody. Last season, he had Booker and Aiden and you know Aubrey for a while. He had some good people around him. He went to the rim less than he usually does, and he went to the free throw line less than he usually does, but he caught and shot and pulled up on threes more than he ever has. And he hit them really well. And so um, one of the things I will always say about Rubio is he knows how to maximize his skill set. And so um, I think that's wonderful. I just want to point out that um while he had a fabulous season beyond the arc this this last year, it is a, a sort of an outlier. Now, the two of the previous three years, he was over 35%. So it's not terrible. But he has never been an efficient shooter. Never. He is always I, a below 100%. The, the thing to focus on, though, particularly within this scheme, is the catch and shoot numbers. He's going to, he is going to have to... He should take and probably will be encouraged to take less off the dribble three point shots. And in, he has improved as a catch and shoot three point shooter since he left Minnesota. Right. I think you can just see that from watching him, and it Without shows up in the numbers. Right. The Tibbs year, the Tibbs year, 168 attempts, catch and shoot from three, made 32% of them. Last year, he he shot 156 156 of them shot 41%. But even throw in even throw the two two Utah years. So if you put in the two Utah years and the Phoenix year and you combine those all together, catch and shoot three pointers, he's 37%. Right. And Postman that is way better. It is a way better catch and shoot three point shooter than he was when he blast played. For and a lot of that is because he has finally gotten over the idea that he is a dominant point guard because dominant point yep. guards now need to be able to shoot. And so what he is able to do is defer to the Joe Ingles of the world in Utah, defer to the Devin Bookers of the world in Phoenix, um, and get passes off the bounce, which, by the way, will work really well if he is next to D'Angelo because D'Angelo may find him in a wide open for some of this stuff. But again... It does, it makes him more well-rounded, but you also lose a little bit of the magician there. And, and, That's fair. And, and so, again, people who think, I, listen, I, I was besotted with Ricky Rubio fever. His first game that he ever played as a Timberwolf against Russell Westbrook and OKC, back when OKC was really, really good, and he played really well, and that whole season up until he got hurt against Kobe, that was magical stuff. And he's flashed that magic on occasion a lot since then. He is one of the greatest passers in the history of the NBA, but that cannot be maximized anymore. Because he can't shoot off the dribble. Because that's not the way, it's not the way the league plays. You don't have a, he's not going to get those catch and shoots. If he's got the ball in his hands all the time, 
I, I, I'm totally with that. That's all true. The biggest thing I want to point out is that you are not adding another Josh Akogi, Jarrett Culver, right. Trevion Grand, Keelan Martin on the skip pass. Totally agree. Shot those, totally agree. Akogi, Akogi shot 26% on catch and shoot threes. Uh, Trevion Graham shot 27% on catch and shoot threes. Jared Culver shot 29% on catch and shoot threes. Keelan Martin shot 23% on catch and shoot threes. Ricky Rubio shot 41% last year. And if you factor in the other two years, 37%. Like that is a meaningful improvement off of those guys. I actually saw that tweet you made with all those numbers. And the one I laughed out loud at Jalen Noel, 5%. It was only Are you kidding attempts. me? <laughs> it was only 18 attempts. <laughs> but he I mean, made 44%. He made 44% <laughs> in the, in the, in the G league. <laughs> that might not have been a great pick. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, listen, um, th- you talk about home run swings. It isn't a home run swing, but this, this guy could turn into a double this year. If he, if he, I mean, if Jalen Noel could shoot, maybe he's a chip. Who knows if we'll ever get a chance to find mm-hmm. out. By the way, I mean, last thing, last thing, uh, at least as far as this particular thing goes, and we can go forever we want. From well, we got to talk. We got to talk about Beasley. All right, too. all right. By all means, what I want to tell you though is, as as somewhat of a Jordan McLaughlin stand, what happens here? Somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> well, I it's because I ripped him for when he came into the league. I made fun of him. I mean, I was an idiot. I've I've been atoning for that ever since. Maybe I go overboard the other way, but I actually really do think. He's a fine backup point guard in the NBA, a fine backup point guard. And I don't know where he fits now. I mean, well, again, this is another we need to wait and see because right. he he hasn't signed anywhere else, nor has any nor has as we're recording that, has he signed um with the Wolves. I think where we differentiated a little bit was I was always cool with the like bring him back at the minimum to be the third point guard. Right. And I, I actually think this would be – if he came back in the fabric of, of this roster, which is D'Lo is one point guard, Ricky is the other point guard, the third point guard is kind of important here because those two – because D'Lo and Ricky are going to play together. Right. So you're kind of like second and a half string, which might be the sweet spot for J-Mac. I think they need to – I think they need to address that. You know, they got a lot of things they have to address. But, but that, that might be one of them. One thing I will say is you're going to like this Hagen's kid. They signed for the two way. All right, I'm really glad to hear that. I don't know a thing about him. He's well. He he can't shoot. He can't shoot. Or but you're gonna love. He's he's just this uh, bulldog. How, at the how's he gonna get time? How is he different than well, Kobe and Culver? He's a, it's a two way guy. It's a two way guy. But but he's he's of that uh, he's of that Akogi uh, bull at the point of attack defensively. He'll just he'll he'll be you'll like him. It, in like is, is Keelan Martin toast? I would, I would think so. You, I don't see how he isn't, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we're at a point where there's just a lot of dudes on the roster. Right exactly. Now. And, and I'm assuming something happens where Spellman and Evans, you know, are gone to, somehow um, to to open up a couple. But yeah, what I mean, I think we're at uh, Beasley makes it 14. I think that's right. 14 guys on the roster. And McLaughlin, um, if you're not signing McLaughlin, I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, Wancho, I mean, assuming... Oh, Wancho, yeah, Wancho, right, right. Wancho, Wancho isn't Wancho's in that 14, right, right, right. Wancho isn't in that 14. I think they also, I mean, it's going to be weird if they don't use the mid-level at all. Right. Right? Like, and they didn't last year. Now, it, it, but it's once every two years, right? Maybe they no, want to... Mid-level, 
no mid level you got mid level they got nine that they can spend. Oh, all, that's right. Every year you're talking the about biannual. The, yeah, the biannual, biannual is like is three point six okay, that they can okay. use every right. other. They're not gonna they're not gonna use that. The thing was last year, I remember being like, why the hell didn't they they sign all these Jordan Bells, Noel Vonleys, whatever? Like, why didn't you you got space under the tax? Why didn't you spend up to get a nine million dollar guy rather than a two million guy? And, and it comes back, in my opinion, to home runs. That's a mid level is a singles hit or a double. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they don't want singles and doubles. It but it was it was a home run it was a home run move because this is why. Or a home run in their in their sense. Because they left like eight, nine million dollars under the tax. That's why they didn't use the mid level. And then what happened at the trade deadline? Every deal they took back a couple million dollars. At the deadline they took back ten million dollars would actually put them one one million into the tax. Right. So I was like you know, it was like, oh, that's why you didn't use the mid-level last year. I, I, you know, I get it. The the thing is, is that same logic doesn't hold up now because you're already, they don't have like fungibility financially anymore. So it's going to be, I'd be interested to ask Gerson when this all shakes out, if they don't use the mid-level or if they only use a fragment of it, like, is it just that you couldn't get anybody or, you know, what, what's, you know, what's the, the logic there? But that that's, Again, on Sunday morning, that's neither here nor there because we don't we don't know. Hey, if if um, both of the first rounders, the late first rounders who are not going to play a minute for the Wolves, I predict. Um, Bomaro's not on the books. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, they, I don't know. I they, should just let you ask your question. No, 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 no. I, that's what I wanted to know. Are, are either one of those guys, Leandro or um, or Jaden? Yeah, Jaden. Are they on the books at all? Jaden is yeah. Jaden's on for his. It's a one point eight million dollar contract. Boy, that's you know, it's really fascinating to me that. Uh, but that's as that's as cheap as you can get. I know. A minimum, I know. I know. You know, basically. So I, I'm 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 cool with that, and I get the drafted stash element of it. Right. And and I mean, a reason you or I aren't digging too deep. I, I mean, just talking to some people is like, oh, what the hell do they do with the draft? Like, didn't take somebody at seventeen. I'm, for me, we didn't even really talk about this part of the Rubio trade. I'm pretty cool with trading 25 and 28 for 17. I don't think you like sacrificed that much. I really like Josh Green and Sadiq Bay a lot. I I and and I did too. I just don't think it's fair for us to say like would have been we, another wing, right? Yeah, we just is there a power? We don't know as 17? much as they do. What what I would argue if you really wanted to, well, people read my draft piece probably in which I was arguing for. Tillman and yeah. Reed at 33. Um, I think mm-hmm. Reed is still out there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I think so. it's been hard to keep track of everything. So I will not. say right now, Paul Reed as a free agent, you know, as a, mm-hmm. a, a $400,000 guy or whatever they do with that stuff. Give him the Nas Reed thing. Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know, but he immediately becomes an interesting piece of the mix. Maybe not right, right. away, but after some time in Iowa – Whatever they do in Iowa, you know, whatever special sauce they put in or make them drink, um, <laughs> they they certainly play system basketball better than any people of the parent club. And right. So, right. Um, give me Paul Reed after three or four months in Iowa, and maybe we have yep. our, our power forward, you know? And what, all I'm saying is I think more moves or a move like that is to come. We'll, we'll see who it is. My broader point is – Regard in regards to Balmaro or McDaniel's, like 
I'm not going to start pounding the table like, what the hell, why'd you go with those two guys oh, over someone that I like? Because I actually, I don't know as much as they do. <laughs> no, nowhere near right. as far as assessment of those prospects. So that, to me, that's neither here nor there. I know some people have stronger draft takes, whatever, to, to each their own. Let's move on to Malik Beasley. Okay, one more thing I want to okay, say in, in, in that, which is that um, people who are complaining about Balmaro and McDaniel need to remember what the playoffs were like in the bubble last year and then look at the Wolves roster. The gap between what it takes to be past the first round in the NBA in the Western Conference – and what the Wolves can get right now in terms of what they have is so vast that you need to play the lottery literally in terms of um, take a lottery ticket and hope it really goes big. Yeah, Tillman or Reed or somebody like that would really help this team become a ninth seed. But if right. you want to be a, a fourth seed or a fifth seed, in 2023, somebody like Balmaro or McDaniel has to hit. They, they are, or McDaniel's particularly, is is the Michael Porter Jr. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, hopefully, a lot better defender. Well, but but it's 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 the whole idea of highly touted high school prospect. Right. Didn't put it together in their their freshman year. I mean, right. Porter was discounted. For his, his you know, back, he kind of right? his back. Plus, he played as much as James Wiseman did in college. You know, right. there was really nothing there. But but McDaniel's was was the seventh ranked prospect in that in that high school class, and it is a freaky athlete, and is big, and and is that. So again, to to use your verbiage, home run swing. I get it. I'm not I'm not gonna gonna rip on that. The one thing I think is weird with McDaniel's is they never interviewed him. Right. They never had any contact with him before. Which maybe like, they wanted to uh, make sure that. People didn't know they had interest. I guess, yeah. They're, they're, you're right. There, there are some tactics there. I just, I just thought that that was Sam. V- like, uh. Sam Vecini thinks that he could be an all star. Yeah. No, I read uh, so Sam stuff has all been really, really great. Like, yeah, he is the he has the home run swing upside. I feel like I've been really positive here in the first seventy two minutes have of this. The the I, you know, so. So hopefully Gerson or Ryan, if they're listening to this, have now turned it off uh, <laughs> because I the the Malik Beasley um, the Malik Beasley contract I I take issue with. Okay, now um, are you arguing the timing? Or are you arguing the move itself? <laughs> I am arguing Malik Beasley the person. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um. I think you you quite literally are putting a lot of your chips in the middle financially, right? Mm-hmm. Fifty million dollars a year, right? And and you're I don't want to say it's a, a full on gamble, but you're like <laughs> you've got you've got four spades, right? And on the flop, and you're like, okay, I got I got a thirty three percent chance of hitting one on the Turner River here, and maybe like the pot odds, maybe there's pot equity there. But inherently, it's a gamble, and you're probably there's a good chance you come out with just ace high, and that isn't it. Just the gamble does not prove worth it because I think Malik Beasley's a risk in in who he is, and obviously, I don't need to the 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 specific off court issues that have been reported are an issue in and of themselves. But 
that that is not an isolated incident as far as concerning behavior from Malik Beasley goes. And that dates back to the high-profile stuff in Denver, like the fights, but also fight, singular, that we know of, but also just his track record of behavior and, and things that aren't widely reported out there. There are substantial concerns about Malik Beasley, the person. Now, I don't want to be the person who's going to say some 23-year-old kid can't be an adult when he's 26 years old. Like, look at Josh Jackson. Right. You know, totally, totally messed up, became a, was dealt with off-court issues, comes back as, as an adult, works, you know, works with Memphis, and now he signs his deal this offseason with Detroit. Like, you know, good for him. That stuff happens. But it's a risk. There's more examples of guys who have chronic issues, particularly related to drugs, that do not, that do not pan out. I mean, that's just a human thing, right? It's a, that's a, that's a, a real issue in human behavior. And, and, I, and, I, and I question that with Malik Beasley. I question, I question how he's going to – I question what he's going to be like as a 25, 26-year-old. I don't think that you're wrong to bring it up. I mean, obviously, uh, the more we learned about what happened with the gunplay out there, the weirder it got, you know, the uh, demonstrative thing that the video showed inside afterwards and the testimony or at least the accounting of the family, you know, basically having – if you level a gun at a family – now, again, the word family is, is fraught here – because, you know, we don't know if, uh, you know, what exactly the composition of the family was. But in general, it's not a good look. Um, I think I might take issue with the idea of signing Beasley before you figure out what the market is. On the other hand, it judging from the overall market, there's a chance that they got him less expensively than he would have if they had to match that said. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I would say is um, when we start to get into character issues, um, and quite frankly, African-American character issues as a 67 year old white guy, uh, I keep my mouth shut. Because I don't know. I don't know what what the deal is there. Um, what I will say is that um, if that doesn't pan out, if if what you fear comes to pass, that's on Rosas. Because he needs to know. He's and he has way more information on the topic than I do. But I'm just I, I'm also will. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad stance you're making because I think it's a legitimate question that is on people's minds. I don't touch it with a 10-foot pole because um, it feels fraught to me to talk about it. That's just me. I mean, that th and maybe you're right. Maybe maybe I am being inappropriate by bringing up I know I and and what I'm saying is look there are things that uh, I hold opinions on that some people don't think are appropriate. I mean, you got to be, uh, you got to go with your gut. And 
in this particular case, I have decided, first of all, that I think he's a good fit on this team. His skill set, his basketball, Agreed. all this other stuff. Agreed. And yes. I also think, I mean, we were on media row surrounded by his wife and his mother right behind us, you know, during <laughs> uh, the season when he played. Yeah. And they are extremely passionate and he very, very much pays attention to them. And he is somebody who has a lot of passion and a lot of um, a lot of belief in himself. He turned down three years, $30 million at a time when uh, that was a tremendous amount of money relative to what he was making. He bet on himself. Um, you may recall the time when I had an interview with him in the locker room where I wanted to compare defense that the Wolves have versus defense that the Nuggets have. And he refused to answer it. And I asked him three times and he refused yeah. to answer it every time. He has an edge to him that is there. Now, is that edge a good thing or a bad thing? It I, very well could be a good thing. It very well could I, be. And it could very well be both. I have fairly little doubt that it's a good thing. I also, frankly, don't know if it could be. A, I mean, if it is a bad thing, it would be silly of me to say it won't be a bad thing because I don't know. And you are correct to bring it up in this particular instance, because as you point out, there's a lot at stake here if this turns out to be a flame out. I don't think, uh, I actually think it's a really good thing to talk about on this forum. I shy away from it because there's too much freight involved in it for me personally. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an old baby boom white guy, you know? I mean, I can't be passing judgment on my, you know, I went through this with J.R. Ryder when he was here. And I would get down on uh, Steve Ashburner, who was, you know, saying writers flashing gang signs and all this other stuff. And I said, you know, you're being a racist, you know, asshole, so on and so forth. Well, J.R. Ryder didn't really make me look very good at the end of the day, you know, with my staunch defense of, you know, his character. Uh, in the long run, he, you know, he, he behaved himself out of the NBA. Um, it's possible that Malik Beasley will do the same thing. These kinds of things are fraught for me. And my first instinct is to say, I'll let somebody else deal with that. But I don't think it's inappropriate. It's just not something that I engage with. Well, I, that, that, that's totally fair. And, and, and I, I don't want to make I, you feel bad for saying it. That's what no, I'm saying. I, I don't. I don't. I don't feel bad okay, for saying it because okay. at the end of the day, we're we're talking about assessing right the value, the risk proposition of a four-year, sixty million dollar contract, or if you take out the team option, a, a four or a three-year, forty-four million dollar contract. Right. That that's what we're doing, and that and, and quite frankly, that is the job of the front office. Right, is to analyze the risk proposition there, and what I believe to some extent happened. Is is they they viewed the trade they made for him in giving up a first round pick as a bit of a sunk cost, 
Right. And, and, and needing to recoup some of that value because, again, who knows what happens with Wancho, but if Wancho gets priced out and he's, he ends up leaving and, and Malik, you ended up getting priced out on the market and he went and signed with the Knicks, then now all of a sudden you traded a first-round pick. And Covington. Half of Robert Covington. It. Yeah, yeah. Covington, part of Covington's value for two players who are, who are not on, on the team right. at all. I think there's an element of the sunk cost there. That said, I do see a path where Malik Beasley looks nice on a three-year $44 million contract. Exactly, I do too. I think that definitely, definitely exists. What That path, though, doesn't only include but requires him to for his behavior off the court to mature. Right. It, it's just, it's part of, it's part of the risk proposition is what I'm saying. And, and I'm, I have, I have concerns about that element of the risk proposition that, but again, that said, if he does what he did this year in the 14 games, he was in Minnesota and you spread that out for 82 or 72 games next season, that is more than a 14, $15 million player. Well, except that he doesn't play defense. And I, 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 I def- you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, def- I defended him when the trade was made. I said, I think this guy is going to be a better defender. I went and looked at some film and I saw signs that he was a pretty good defender. And he's another one of those guys. I don't know what it is. I, I haven't been able to figure out how this happens. Beasley's eye test on defense is better than his stats. Um, he looks like he's trying. Now, there were definitely games, especially toward the end of the season, where he was moving his upper torso a lot more than his feet on the perimeter. And like Wancho, Mm -hmm. he became much more of a statue. Um, But there were also times, especially in Denver, where Beasley looked like he was playing hard on defense. Um, He just maybe doesn't get schemes or something. And again, you know. it's it's slow reaction to me. It's slow reaction time. Uh-huh. The combination of slow reaction time and being undersized. Mm. He is he is very slight of frame. He's not particularly tall or long. And in the landscape of this team, if you're going to play alongside a lineup of Rubio and Russell, you're playing the three. Right. So now you're guarding Jason Tatum. Right. You're guarding Durant. You know, I mean, like, however that however that may may shake out, he is. The film does not acquit him well defensively. Right. And neither and neither do the sides. There are instances of playing hard, which I I, I like to see that. That is a difference than D'Angelo Russell, right? Right. Where where the, the issues you see with D'Angelo Russell show up in the stats and they show up in the film and there is not a an intensity to his defense. Right. With Malik, there is an intensity to his defense. Right. Which which gives you some hope. Or the opposite. Which means it isn't a matter of effort. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's and right, right, right. You know, and so it is. It's this weird. Um, if you want to indict the Rosas regime at the current time, ask yourself how many two-way players are on the roster. <laughs> Ricky <many>? Rubio, <laughs> your boy. <laughs> I'm serious. I, if you yeah. take a hard look at everybody on, and maybe J Mac, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, not on the roster. <laughs> they are not, you know, Culver and Okogi. You'd have to yeah. say a defensive guys. All the guys that you know, people are excited about. 
are they're excited because they fill it up, not because they get yeah. any stops on anybody. Um, so Rosas did say something interesting in all you know the zooms and all this run up. He went from um, saying an elite defense to an average defense. He quad actually quantified it and said third on defense, fifteenth. I mean third on offense, fifteenth on defense. So fifteenth yeah. on defense. I can actually see them flirting with third. I don't know. There's some really good offenses in the NBA. I think they yeah. could be a top eight offense. By the way, they were 24th this year. Um, that should be, I think, top 10 offense should be the assumption. Well. Outside outside of this year, they've been top 13 every year of Cat's career. Right, right. And top 10, I think, four of them, or three of them. Yeah, well. And it was like 10th, but um, well, then the Jimmy year was fourth. Mm-hmm. But. I, I do think the assumption should be that this is a top 10 offense. Okay. Like if I'm putting money down. And where do you put them on defense? 27th. Yeah. I was going to say it's certainly not 15. Right. Um, I, I, I really do think how they handle the margins of the end of this off season will, will have a real impact on whether that's 28th or 19th which sounds silly because there's not much left to do, but right now it just doesn't line up well. Right. You know, you know, the, um, the sneaky thing about last year, and I'm not sure I remember the last time this happened, the Wolves had a better ranking on defense than they did on offense last year. <laughs> they were 20th in defense and 24th on offense. Now, a lot of that had to do with the clank fest at the beginning of the season. Um you know, where they, they went out of their way to prove how inefficient they could be. Um, and the defense was good those first 20 games, the 10 and 10. Well, I mean, good. It, it was they, they were good, then they had a bad stretch, and then they went back to being good for a while, and then they made the trades. When Cat was out. Yeah, I, yeah. Know, I know. I know, that's so. really – Gorgie Jang, man. You know, <laughs> Can't have a podcast without saying Gorgie Jang. <laughs> you got to love him. That's all I can say. <laughs> Remember how uh, uncompromising he was about the lack of effort on defense? Yeah. That well, I mean that's why they got rid of him. Might be. The 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 final thing I do want to say on, on Beasley, and just because we spent I spent so much time flapping my gums about Rubio being that human trade exception thing. Uh-huh. Um Beasley could be that, that fits too. Right. Beasley fits here too. So um I would say now you have Two James Johnsons, uh, in 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 that extent of that money range, I think they're both substantially better players than James Johnson. Um, Beasley is eleven years younger than James Johnson. Rubio, I think, is five. You know, so you have you have some more attractive salary in the fifteen to twenty million dollar range right. there. That ultimately, I I mean, I guess I'm going to die on this hill. I think that is their. That is their plan because they are home run swingers. And what I would add my own little secret prediction is that not so, not so secret, not so secret now, of course, I think it'll be D'Lo for all the reasons we just laid out. Um, He won't be happy. It's a big number. Um, And the way this team is being constructed you don't want a ball dominant guy. Right. And I still, this is kind of a weird hill that I've been accruing dirt upon to stand, you know, taller and taller with mixed results. Um, <laughs> is um, 
I want Cat's usage to go up. I want to see what this guy is like. I want to see him get six dimes a game. I want to see him become Kevin Love at worst in terms of his role in facilitating offense. Right. And that's not going to happen now. I mean, I still think they're going to use him at the top of the key like they did before. I still think they're if going to they play can, five out. If they can use him like they did the first four or five games of the season, that was a glorious time. Um, uh, but he's also going to be better. There's He's going to be a better distributor out of the post right. than he was last year because he's going to have substantially better shooters around him. And like, if Edwards is a cutting monster, which everybody says he is, um, that's a really nice little chip to have. If if yeah. if, if they play... Let's assume they play – I don't think Edwards is going to get any time at the two, by the way. I think he's either going to play the three or the four. <laughs> I do. Oh, wow. yeah. And so – Have I told you my theory that Josh Okoge is the power forward? Have we, we haven't even done that. Well, the problem with that – I mean, first of all, not a bad instinct in that he's great along the baseline in terms of getting space and cutting in for rebounds. He's a really mm-hmm. good baseline rebounder, which you mm-hmm. want your four to be. Uh, so, right. you know, that's cool. Um, I think that there is a guy, Okogi and Cat, their numbers together are not fabulous. Um, and I But th- in theory should be better, <laughs> at least defensively. I think Cat needs reliability. I think that's what made Gorgie and KG so good for Cat. Now, why didn't it make it good for Taj? Taj and Cat's numbers weren't great. So, you know, it doesn't translate all the way. I would say that um, what Okogi might be able to do is chase down the three-point shooter. One of the things that Cat has a lot of trouble with is, is recognizing and getting out to contest corner trays, um, and which is why you need a power forward that can do that which may be one of the reasons why Lehman would work, why uh, Okogi could work. Um, but flipping it to my original point about on offense, if you have Edwards at the three or the four, then you have a three or four guarding him. I think that's a backdoor cut waiting to happen. Uh, if he is as rough and as explosive physically as he's been reputed to be, then he's going to get to the rim a lot if somebody can find him. And Mm -hmm. given the fact that he doesn't shoot threes very well, and a lot of people on this team can, um, I like him at the forward position. I I like him. I like lining him up. If you're going to line him up behind the three point line in the corner, like on it, like the, so he can make his cuts. So he can make his cuts and he's going to make, he's going to make low thirties from the corner and he's going to make 25% from above the break. That was the problem is, is he let it, he was lined up above the break because he was playing the wing, the mm-hmm. guard. And, and by, by putting him in the corner, now you can, you can play him kind of in that extended dunker spot mm-hmm. where he can be there. He can flare to the corner um, or just from the corner, him and him and D'Lo ran a little bit of like two man action, just like a side pick and roll. The two of them D'Lo's above the break. Okogi's in the corner. You can run. You can run a little bit of stuff there. Now people are probably laughing at this on size and everything. I'm just saying, I think it. When we're talking about this pile of guys who aren't really power forwards who are probably going to play power forward, Josh Okogi belongs in that pile. Uh-huh. I think. 
Yeah, he does. Um, it has to be definitely certain lineups. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you can't. Well, he's going to be a bit role player now. He's not in the right. Like uh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Sure seems like it at least. Well, sure seems like he's getting buried. Well, I mean, where is he relative to Culver then? That is the question. I think he's got to be above Culver. I I do, but we didn't draft Culver sixth overall. Yeah, but so this is another one of those you or I thing. Are we talking about? Are we talking about what we would do? Or are we talking about what the behavior? We're talking about what a smart front office interest. would do. You know, and so uh, you know, if 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 in fact a smart front office would play Okogie over Culver and they play Culver over Okogie, then let the chips fall where they may in terms of that particular mm -hmm. viewpoint. I mean, and maybe Culver will get better this year. He should. And maybe Okogie will too. He should. Yeah. You know, I mean, the same age. I, I, I will predict exactly. There's like five months difference mm. between them. Yeah. Here's a fun fact before we go. Josh Okogie has played more NBA minutes in his career than Jake Lane. <laughs> Damn, that is, a, that is a Timberwolves fact right there. <laughs> that is a being on the Timberwolves. Jake Lehman is 26, decimated yeah. by injuries two years, part-time player the other two years. and yet one Second of the, oldest player on the Timberwolves. And, one, and yet one of the great hopes for this team, in my view. I mean, you know, yeah. I, 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 there's a guy who won't get buried. Oh, no, I don't think, I mean, he's part of the plan. And, and we, again, we, we saw that by him being with the one guy who got a multi-year contract last year. Right. There, there are clues. There are clues in what the front office does as to who is going to play. They should have gotten rid of Amari Spellman by now if they're not going to use him, though. Yep, and I have a feeling that by the time people are listening to this, that will have happened. All right. Make room for Paul uh, Reed. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, Brett. Well, we're going to, I mean, there's going to be more to chop up with all this, you know, in the coming day. I feel like we didn't even really get into Edwards all that much. Right. Um, but but generally speaking, I mean, it's a it's a good conversation. And, and quite, if I'm being honest, to, to talk through some of the Rubio stuff, um, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not going to crater to your <laughs> to your point, but but it's good. You know, there there, there is a there is certainly a debate to be had there. And and if we're being if I'm being honest part of the case for Rubio is kind of foofy, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and I guess we shouldn't overlook the fact, you know, one of the ways, one of the things I won't shy away from, I'll shy away from like a Beasley character argument. I won't shy away from the idea that Rubio is at least partially driven by PR. I mean, Gerson can say all day, he doesn't try to win the press conference. You know, this Rubio deal was not made in a vacuum. This team went into the luxury yeah. tax with the third worst winning percentage in the NBA last year, and they need to put some uh, yeah. vigor. And I think that that's a defendable. That's like it can be a PR thing, and I know you hate that, right? But but there is right there is strategic logic in doing a PR thing because it, you need I, revenue. I don't think it, and you yes. need your own. I don't support. think that was the primary motivator. Right. Exactly. I don't think it was a primary motivator. I think it is a positive externality of bringing in Ricky Rubio is the fact that your team is going to be more popular. Your team needs to be more popular to be somebody who's a, that's allowed to spend up to the luxury tax and into it. They, you can't just roll this out where you're the least popular team in the league year <laughs> over year and expect to be like, Oh yeah, here we go. Let's foot up $150 million salary. Right. Like you can't, right? you can't. And so, so that, you know, that's part of the question. And I think, I think, you know, think of it what you made. This team got a lot more popular and likable this week 
Anthony Edwards, people are going to like. I'm not, I'm not talking about basketball. Right. Ricky Rubio, we know people are going to like, generally speaking. Like, this is going to be, I think I do, I do really think, you know, we'll see where D'Angelo's head is at with everything, but I think he is going to be a, a player that Timberwolves fans start to really latch onto as someone you like being on your team. The team got, the team got a lot likable, and like, call a spade a spade, it wasn't likable. It hasn't been likable. People are excited. Um, losing teams ultimately are not likable. True. And the True. Wolves will be a losing team this coming year. That said, everything is relative. And yes. and if you have a Ricky Rubio on your team, God forbid we ever get to you know enter the arena again. Uh, but once people get to see Ricky Rubio live with the uniform on and everything, and it's a packed house, it will be a great goosebump moment. Um, yeah. You know, my colleague, John, Krasi- John Krasinski will hit it out of the park, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and so, you know, I, I, I don't begrudge that because not everybody wants to get into who are the best free agent power forwards now that the top 73 are gone? I mean, <laughs> people don't want to do that. They just want to say, will you shut up and let me watch this guy play basketball? You know? Uh, and and I, I got a lot of that sentiment when I was ripping the Rubio acquisition on trade. I, I mean, I, I get it. And, 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 and there's room for everybody. I don't pay anything to see the games. A lot of people who love Ricky Rubio do. And so, uh, sure. who am I to say, you know? For sure, for sure. Um, Britt, you have a piece up, as people are listening to this, that is up at The Athletic right now, um, reacting to what has kind of happened over these past few days. I haven't yet read it yet because it's not published. I but, haven't written um, it yet. Oh, you haven't written it? No, no. <laughs> oh, is that today? You're writing it today? Yeah, I'm writing it today. Okay, well, this is going. This podcast is going to yes, and I appreciate. I mean, uh, we made an agreement that it, it would be embargoed. It doesn't have to be this way all the time, but this is a big yeah. event, you know, and it deserves to be in print. Um, my little plea here is: um, look, you know, uh, I'm not going to ask Dane for money at this point in his career to do this podcast. I would do it for free, regardless. But the athletic does pay me. And so if you want to support this podcast from my end of things, get an athletic subscription and read that stuff. It's more than just my stuff. It's a bunch mm-hmm. of other people's stuff. Um, and that way, it's objectively great. Yeah, and that it's... way, you know, Dane and I can keep doing this on a, on a basis where we're both happy, uh, especially if you yeah. go uh, paywall yourself and begin to get some shekels for uh, your hard work. Well, more, more to come on that in, in, in time. We'll, we'll see, but I appreciate you always doing this. And I, and I know that, uh, I know that people like to hear your thoughts in writing kind of parsed out here in, you know, vocal form too. So I think it, I, I do think it's a, a happy, everybody says it's a synergy. So I, you know, I listen to what the kids say. <laughs> All right, Brett, uh, you can follow Brett on Twitter at Brett Robson, read his piece that will be up at the athletic at some point. And, uh, I think we'll, I think we'll do this again. Probably soon. Yeah, uh, sounds good uh, to me. Uh, I think there'll be there'll be more to talk about, and shit. I mean, the season's going to be here in like a week, so uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Until next time, I'll have something more here this week coming out on uh, 
I got to watch some film on McDaniels and some other stuff. We'll, we'll figure out what happens. But until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.